You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. You know, last week we launched a brand new series called Fully Charged. And if you missed it, I encourage you to go back to Journey's YouTube channel. It's worth going back and discovering how creating margin in your life helps you to keep pace with Jesus, who said these words, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. He says, I will give you, what's the word? I use this verse a lot when I do funerals, but these words apply not only to those who are grieving, but also to those who are outcasts, those who might be rejected or feel abandoned, or certainly those who are lonely. Keep in mind, this verse is not one of those verses that's a probability. Like if we call upon God to give us the rest that we need, that he might do it. He'll think about it. This is one of those verses in scripture that's a promise, that if we call upon him, he hears And he answers and he gives us the rest that we so desperately seek. Last week, Pastor Dustin introduced this verse as our theme verse for the whole series. And so last week, we kind of repeated it out loud, and we're going to do the same thing again today. So let's read this verse aloud together right now. Join me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I don't know what heavy burden you walked in here with today. But whatever it is, Jesus says, you can find rest from it in him. And he's not talking about sleep. Although some of us may need more sleep in our lives, this is not what this verse is really talking about. The series is not about getting more sleep. It's actually about being fully awake in the areas of life that matter most, like our schedules and our priorities and like our relationships and even our finances. Now, growing up, I enjoy playing with these. You know what these are? Some of you know. Legos. Exactly right. And so, how many of you had Legos growing up? Yeah, I see a lot of hands. How many of you still like playing with Legos? Uh, I see a lot of hands. So, oh, there goes a runaway Lego. Um, Legos are really cool. In fact, they were uh, created, uh, thank you very much, they were were created by... uh, a Danish carpenter in 1932, 33, 34, right in that area. And here's what you might know or you might not know. Our pastor here, lead pastor Dustin Agard, he's also Danish. He has Danish ancestors. So let's just pause. I want to pause right now and just say, Dustin, thank you so much to you and your people for Legos. Uh, well done, my friend. Well done. What started as a hobby for a man named Ole Kirk Christensen grew into a worldwide phenomenon, as you probably know. Listen to some of these facts about Legos. Today, there are 737 Lego retail stores and nine Legoland theme parks. If that doesn't tell you that they're pretty popular, I don't know what would. If laid end to end, Legos, the number of Legos sold every year around the world if laid end to end, would circumvent the earth five and a half times. Now, I thought, "Ah, that's a little much, but I started doing some research, and everywhere I turned, that's exactly what they said. On average, there are 86 Legos 
for every person on earth. Now, the name Lego is taken from two Danish words. The words legat, meaning play well. Now, Dustin, you already know this, so just bear with me. Um, but, but legat, you can make almost anything out of Legos. I mean, I've got about, what, 200 Legos here or so, and we could create all kinds of stuff. I mean, I could make a, I could make a car, and the reason I could make a car is because Legos now makes tires. In fact, they're the number one tire manufacturer in the world. 400 million <laughs> tires every year. Bet you didn't know that. I can make a car. I can make a, a boat. I can make a rocket ship. I can make a house. I can make a plane. All kinds of stuff. In fact, look at some of these really creative Lego, this artwork that people have done with Legos. I mean, that's amazing, right? I mean, this one over here, this is at Disney Springs. I don't know about some of the others, but you could go and see that one today if you wanted to. Now, to make something like this would take about, well, it would take tens of thousands of Legos. But what if you only had one? What if somebody just gave you one Lego? What could you do with one Lego? And the answer is nothing. And why is that? Here's why. Legos were created to be connected to one another. And here's my point. What's true of Legos is also true of people. We were created to be connected to one another. Check this out. We were created by God to be connected to him and be connected to others. This truth is at the heart of what it means to be created in the image of God. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kevin Queen, he actually was a guest speaker here maybe a month ago or so. He's from Cross Point Church in Nashville. He spoke to a gathering of pastors and elders and their wives here at, at Journey. And he said something in his talk that really struck me. In fact, it's something I'll never forget. He said when he was new to Nashville, he went to lunch with a friend. They went to a taco place. And he said they were sitting there eating. And his friend said to him, you got to get six. And Kevin was like, Got to get six what? Six tacos? And his friend said, no, no, not six tacos. You got to get six friends. In the end, you'll need your six. They're the ones who'll help lay you to rest. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. That's fairly significant. In fact, that's the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Think of your life in terms of the end and work your way backwards. He said, you got to get your six. That struck me as profound. And I immediately began thinking, who are my six? Do I have six? And I think that raises the question for all of us. Who are your six? Who are your six that are going to be with you at the end when everybody else is gone? See, today's message is all about finding your people. Because building relational connections with God and with others is the deepest desire of your soul. It's what your soul craves the most. So let's begin with a question. And here it is. Jesus was asked, teacher, which, of the great, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, he said. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's interesting because when Jesus ranks all the commandments in the Old Testament, and there are 613 commandments in just the Old Testament. When he ranks them against one another, he says, these are the top two. I think that's worth knowing. 
And the truth is, when we focus on these two commands, when we put them at the top of our priority list, the result is greater purpose, greater meaning, and greater significance, and greater blessing in our life. That's why Jesus said, I have come that you might have life to the full. And that's what we attempt to do, to follow Jesus, that we might have life and have it to the full. Sadly, many people don't experience the abundant life that Jesus intends for them. And why is this? Why don't so many people experience life to the full that Jesus says he has come to give? Why don't we experience it? And the reason is because we take lightly what Jesus says about building relationships with God and with other people, the first two commandments. You know, according to research, loneliness is at academic, Epidemic, I can say the word. It's at epidemic levels in Western culture. And we're starving for real relationships. Loneliness is that seeking feeling that you have when you feel like you're not seen or you're not known or, or you're not loved. And in case you haven't noticed, our culture is becoming increasingly secular. And coupled with the rise of social media, we have what social scientists are calling pseudo relationships. That means relationships that are a fraction of the depth they could be, or should be, or have been in previous generations. Now, in her book, Get Out of Your Head, Jenny Allen quotes a man named Kirk Thomas who says this. He says, every newborn comes into the world looking for someone looking for them. I think that's a great quote. Every newborn comes into the world looking for someone who is looking for them. And that's not only true of newborns, but that's true of all of us throughout our whole lives. It never quits. We're always looking for someone who's looking for us. This means at our core, we want to be seen, we want to be known, and we want to be loved. One of the most thoroughly researched projects on relationships is called the Alameda County Study. It was uh, a number of years ago, headed by a Harvard social scientist, and it tracked the lives of 7,000 people for over nine years. And here's what researchers found. They found that the most isolated, lonely people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits like smoking or a poor diet or obesity or alcohol abuse, but had strong social ties, lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits, but were lonely. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli alone. That's basically what they said. Another study in the Journal of American Medical Association tracked 276 volunteers that were infected with the virus that produces the common cold. And the study found that people with strong emotional connections did four times better fighting off illness than those who were more isolated and lonely. These people were susceptible to, to colds, or less susceptible to colds, had less virus and produced significantly, now get this, significantly less mucus than those who were lonely subjects. And I'm not making this up. They produced less mucus, which means it's literally true. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. <laughs> it's science. But let me ask you this question. What happens when life gets so crazy for so, so long that you've neglected the margin it needed to build healthy relationships? Well, in the short run, I suppose you might think 
no one even knows what I'm going through. But in the long run, you might wake up one day and find that you don't have any people. You don't have your six. And it's at this moment that you feel devastatingly alone. Like when you have something to celebrate or grieve, but no one to celebrate or grieve with. Or you have an idea that you want to brainstorm, but you can't think of anyone who would care enough to dream with you. Or maybe you're dealing with a a difficult situation at work, but you can't think of anyone you can talk to about it. You haven't had anyone listen to you in so long, you honestly can't remember the last time you even opened up. That's not the kind of life that God wants for you. In fact, far from it. You see, we can't just ignore the two greatest commandments and still expect to reap the blessings that they offer. It doesn't work that way. The Bible says every one of us is physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally dependent on healthy relationships. It's part of what being created in the image of God actually means. Instead of isolation and loneliness, you're actually made for long, long, meaningful conversations with people you've known for years. Regular, unscheduled, and unhurried time with people who feel like family, even if they aren't. People who will scream with joy when you share awesome news and cry with you when you share sad news. People who live on mission with you, who, are, who challenge you and, and make you better. That's what we are actually created for. So let's take a moment and let's go back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. For all eternity, God has existed in relationship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity, God the three in one, which means we were created from relationship and for relationship. If God is in relationship with himself, and he is, we were created from a relationship and for a relationship. The kind of relationships God wants for us are sacrificial, they're intimate, and they're ongoing, just like his relationship is with himself. So in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Notice the our and the us. It's a reference to God being in relationship with himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And soon after creating Adam, God looked around and then the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. And so God created Eve so that Adam would have someone to share his life with because he was created for a relationship. And then at some point in the future, we read they, meaning Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide? What's going on here? What changed? They walked with God and then one day, we read, they hid from God. You see, sin fractured their relationship with God. And the intimacy they had experienced with God was now gone. And like Adam and Eve, our sins cause us to hide from God and to disconnect from one another as well. You see, the whole story of the whole Bible is God's desire to restore the relationships that were lost. From Genesis to Revolution, Revolution, Revelation, from cover to cover, the whole Bible, 
The whole story of the whole Bible is all about God's desire to restore the relationships that were lost. And Jesus at, is at the heart of God's redemptive plan, as you know. Now, Proverbs 18, 24 says, it's one of my favorite verses, there is a friend who sticks closer <clears throat> than a brother. It's referencing Jesus. When I was about uh, 20, 21, something like that, maybe 22, I preached my first sermon. 1984, 1985. This was the verse I used right here. Talked about Jesus being closer to us than a brother. Uh, it was about five minutes long, that sermon, and it was awesome, of course. But as I think about this verse, this is a reference to the friendship that we have with Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds, it says, or by his, some translations say by his stripes. What it means is by his death, we are healed. You have no greater friend in your life than Jesus. And it's your relationship with him that forms the foundation for all the other relationships in your life. So let me give you three steps for building deep personal relationships in a lonely world. In the book of Acts in the New Testament, we read about the Apostle Paul and his friend Timothy and their other friend Silas, and they're preaching and they're building friendships in the city of Thessalonica. And then later, after they start this church in Thessalonica, they leave, and then later, Paul writes a letter back to the church. That's the letter of First and Second Thessalonians. And here's what he says. He says, for you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid such opposition. You see, Paul shows us that the first step in building deep relationships in a lonely world is to be bold. You got to be bold. Paul and Timothy and Silas were bold in their love for God, so bold, in fact, in their love for God and others, that they were, even though they were in danger for preaching the gospel, yet did they do so. And they went out of their way to talk to those who were willing to listen. They showed up as strangers in a town and went to work initiating conversation and making friends. They chose to be known and to take a chance and to risk rejection. And here's the truth. You will never build a deep relationship of friends or a deep community of friends unless you're willing to consistently initiate conversation. You just won't. Because nobody drifts into personal friendships. It takes meaningful dialogue. It, it takes work to foster friendships. And unless you get good at being bold and initiating conversation, you'll struggle to find your people. You'll struggle to find your six. Last night, I was, um, went to a restaurant. My wife's out of town. And um, so I went by myself. It's always weird to go to a restaurant by yourself, especially... You're lonely, right? And I'm preaching on relationships and I'm at a restaurant by myself. And so um, I'm sitting there and I have my, my, my sermon notes and I'm, I'm working. I'm just, you know, I'm rewriting, scratching this, and making some changes. And the waiter, some young guy, about 20, he says to me, hey, what, 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 what are you working on? <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. Well, I said, uh, I've, got a, I've got a work project and it's due tomorrow. <laughs> he said, oh, okay. Well, yeah, okay. Good luck. Yeah, it's great. So he went off and did his thing, and I totally forgot about it. And then a little while later, he was walking behind me, and he just kind of leaned over in my ear, and he said, hey, man, I just want you to let you know, 
this thing you're working on, you got this. I said, okay, well, thanks. Appreciate that. So some time went by and then um, it's time to leave. And he brought me the bill and I signed in the check and everything and put it on the table there. And he comes back over just, I guess, just to pick up the check or whatever, see if I was good. And he goes, hey, just, hey, before you go, I just want you to let you know this work project thing, you're going to kill it. You're going to kill it. <laughs> and I didn't say anything. I said, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that so much. And somebody, I was telling that story to somebody else and said, well, why didn't you invite him to church? And I said, because I got a plan. And here's the plan. I'm going to go back to this restaurant. And my wife and I, we're going to sit there and I know he's going to come up to me and he's going to say, hey man, that project, that work project you were working on the other day, how'd that go? And I'm going to say, hey, funny you should ask. You know, my office videotaped it. And I'm going to send you the link. And then there we, there we go. We will, we'll have a conversation about that. <clears throat> you know, I'm going to Phoenix on Thursday. I'm going to fly uh, to Phoenix for a surprise birthday party for my father. He's turning 80. But here's the thing. My family's history is a long, sad story of fracture with tons of regret and little reconciliation. Although I've seen him a few times over the years, I've not been with him on his birthday in 42 years. So it's going to be awkward. But I've accepted the invitation and I'm going for broke because all that matters when you finally step into eternity is your faith in Jesus and the relationships that you forged over a lifetime with your family, your friends, and your heavenly father. And I could find a reason not to go. But that would not lead down the road to the abundant and full life that Jesus talks about in John chapter 10, verse 10. So here's the hidden reality in all of this. God is always working behind the scenes to restore broken relationships or establish new ones in your life. Because in God's economy, relationships are the currency of life. I wish I had a slide for that one, but let me say that again. In God's economy, think this through, relationships are the currency of of life. Your six are probably closer than you think they are. Don't let the enemy shut you up or shut you out of the relationships God wants you to have. Now, here's the second step in building deep relationships in a lonely world, and that's to put others above yourself. You've got to put others' needs above your own. The New Testament uses the phrase one another 59 times, and that's not by accident. When we look at the early church, what we see is their relationships are focused primarily on others. They put others first. I like what Pastor Andy Stanley says. He says, the primary activity of the early church was one anothering one another. That's a creative way to say it. Look again at the words of Paul in, to the church in Thessalonica. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. A mother always puts the needs of her newborn first, don't they? But the same principle is required for building deep relationships with anyone. You've got to put the needs of the other person before your needs. This is exactly what we read about in the early church. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold their property and possessions to give everyone to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do those early Christians sound to you like they were lonely? No. In fact, there was an intense sense of togetherness among all, it says, who believed. What was true of them then can be true of us now if we follow the example of the early church. The third step in building deep relationships in a lonely world is to go on mission together. So to be bold, to put others before yourself, and then to go on mission together. Those who follow Jesus have a built-in shared purpose. Look again at the words of Paul. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you become very dear to us. You want to know what the biggest obstacle in building deep relationships is? It's believing that the friendship is all about me. The biggest relationships, or I should say the deepest relationships, develop when the friendship is centered on a bigger mission. It's not about me, and it's not really about them. It's about another mission that we're on together. And if you follow Jesus, you have a mission built right into your relationships. It doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter your neighborhood, your hobby, your sport, your school. The biggest mission is to love God and to serve others. For example, if you want to build deep relationships, you could sign up for Serve Day, where you'll be teamed up with a group of people who are on the same mission as you are. Some of the closest friendships at Journey began at events where people went on mission together, like short-term missions trips, or serve day, or food for life. Another opportunity to build deep relationships would be to attend something brand new, which is called Discover Your Journey. It's a 90-minute gathering of people wanting to hear about the history and the heart and the, and the vision of Journey, and to get connected to God and to others. It's going to be a fun event. And I cannot confirm and or deny if there will be Legos at that event. Okay. <laughs> the first Discover Your Journey takes place on March the 9th. If you're not registered, maybe that's something you could consider. But there are plenty of other serving opportunities and group opportunities at Journey that you could get involved with and go on mission together with other people. You know, as I think about living life to the full, I want to be laser focused on what matters most in my life. And I think you probably do too. A few years ago, I came across this poem that I think sums it up pretty well. And I'm going to conclude my time with you with this poem. The poem's called The Dash. It goes like this. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of his friend. He referred to the dates on his tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of his birth. He spoke the second date with tears, but he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time he spent alive on earth, and now only those who loved him know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend 
our dash. So think long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what is true and what is real, and always try to understand the way other people feel, and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogies being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be pleased with the things they have to say about how you spent your dash? I love that poem, clearly. When I think about my dash, I want to invest my dash in what matters most in life, loving God and loving others in that order. And I hope you do as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. And we pray, Father, that as we just consider the relationships around us, that you would give us a heart, not only for you, but for, for people. Help us to seek out relationships that, that impact others. Help us to to take every opportunity we have to be bold and to put the needs of others before our, our own needs and to, and to go on mission with people as we seek to, to build relationships, deep relationships, the kind that give us the fulfillment that our soul craves. We're so grateful that you loved us enough that you wanted to have a relationship with us. And that's why you sent Jesus to the cross. That you love us more than we can possibly begin to even fathom or understand. We're so grateful for that love. Help us to put you first in everything. To love you, to love others the best we can. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.